what most people think. And welcome to episode 126 of What Most People Think. How how are you doing, eh? Are we still in? Can I just say to January, jog on some. Jog, what, I mean, I know it's a long month, 31 days, everyone's skin. Do you know what I mean? Post-Christmas, but I can't, I can't believe it's still January. It's just lingering around like, you know one of those mates that comes around and it's like 10pm and you're you're trying to give all the signs that it needs to jog the fuck on. And you're like, anyway, what are you up to the rest of the week? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Rather than uh, me insinuating that you need to start the rest of the week, I'll now relay all my plans to you in great detail. And you go, all right, do you want a, do you want another coffee? And you really put the emphasis on the word another. And they go, actually, I don't mind if I do. So anyway, hopefully it'll be February soon. I mean, it will be February soon. It's just felt like a, a long month. We've got, uh, this week, we've got a great guest, Chris Martin. An uh, old friend of mine goes way back, brilliant comedian. Uh, he is making a name for himself stateside. And you know what most people think? We have sort of little correspondence, people that specialise in, in certain areas. And I thought he's, he's going to give us the lowdown, not just on what he's doing out there, but what the comedy scene is like in the US, what kind of sensitivities they have out there, you know, what the political scene's like. And he's also got a brilliant uh, new podcast out, which we will discuss too, which is about dads. Um, just before I read out the new Patreons here, I have had to, annoyingly, I know that there was a new Patreon gig um, scheduled for this Friday, and due to a number of uh, reasons, uh, and omni- as Sue Gray will be doing a report, uh, I have had to reschedule that. So apologies for that, but um, it looks like the new date uh, exclusive here is going to be February the 9th, and it looks like I've got uh, Leo Curse and Francis Foster lined up. But I will confirm all that to Patreons first and foremost. Uh, we have somebody, a VIP Patreon, uh, that never got his shout-out. And apologies. So if you if you genuinely haven't had a shout-out, message me. As Patreons will know, if you message me, I will see it eventually. I will always get round to them eventually. And that is Matty Duckworth. And as a cricket fan... I mean, I'm sure I'm no. Hang on, I'm sure I mentioned this before. Like if you mar- if you married a woman called Jane Lewis, the Douglas Lewis method, which then if you mention it in connection with a woman and a man, does sound start to sound like some sort of weird uh, improvised contraceptive. Yeah, the Duckworth Lewis method. There will be more Patreon shoutouts later in the show. Now the erm curve. Looking at last week's stats. Uh, for I didn't do any erms, which shows that I mean, God, I was talking about it was all it was a solo show last week, and it was all about Boris. So obviously I had a bit of a flow going on, but uh, for your nose, disappointed with that. For you know, you know, <laughs> it's just buying time, isn't it? You know, you know, I, well, you know is like a, a comedian code for. Am I talking shit here? Uh, and like I say, if you do notice any other little verbal ticks that either I or people on podcast do, then we can widen. Uh, the scope here. A question was asked by our esteemed super patron David Domain here was that obviously we pensioned off the cuss count, but did Tony Law eclipse Romish? Who asked me? Oh, sorry, that was asked by Phil Moore. That's Phil Moore. So David Domain, if you are listening, I wonder if you could run the stats on that. You know, I think it would be interesting just to know because I, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but, but Tony certainly uh, put in a shift. Speaking of David Domain, he did respond to my uh, highly scientific idea. <laughs> was it last week that I suggested that we that we just throw nuclear waste into the sun? 
Did I say that? Um, but anyway, I was talking about nuclear waste and David Domain did some research. The US Department of Energy was very useful on this topic. Nuclear waste can be recycled and routinely is in France. More than 90% of its potential energy still remains in the fuel, even after five years of operation uh, in a reactor. Uh, the next generation of nukes will be designed to be fueled by nuclear fuel. Well, that's the aim. Currently, unusable waste is enclosed in steel-lined concrete pools of water or in steel and concrete containers known as dry storage casts. These are locked in secure underground compounds. A one gigawatt plant will only produce 25 tonnes a year. In fact, the USA has produced roughly 83,000 metric tonnes of fuel used since the 50s, and all of it could fit on a single football field at a depth of less than 10 yards. Well, come on then! Let's go nuclear. Let's go. And I know, like, there's some people, if your natural politics is left-wing, I bet you'll have already thought this. But what if there's a, an underground earthquake? And the fucking... Yeah, you know what, what? What if we run out of electric? Okay? Let's just balance these things off. What if no one could afford to fucking heat their houses very soon? You know, you've got, you've got to balance off risks, people. And yes, if we have a little nuclear outbreak... Yeah, a little bit of radiation, our own little Chernobyl. At least it will create a good TV series at some point. At time of recording, Sue Gray is still compiling her report. Since we last spoke, uh, there has been further uh, relegations. (laughs) That's a Freudian slip. Further allegations. Um, There was the Conservative minister who claimed that she was uh, was sacked from her job because people were uncomfortable about, about her Muslimness. And uh, the the whip that was charged with that, Mark Spencer, he immediately came out and said, yeah, that was actually me. I didn't do it. It's defamatory. And did you notice how quickly that shit went away once he said it's defamatory? Fucking hell. The latest polls, so this is before the latest revelation, showed quite a big Tory rebound in Delta and Whitfield poll, which may just be like the fucking Carabao Cup of polls. Um, but I, I do wonder, generally with Partygate, whether there is a point with the public where they're kind of going, yeah, okay, we get it. They were arrogant. They were hypocritical. As I say, I'll repeat, I think Boris should go. I said that back in December. I haven't changed my view. But at this point, we probably should wait for Sue Gray's inquiry. But um, with the public, there's a degree to which that people become desensitised, right? You have so many stories. It's not making the situation any worse for the Tories. And I do wonder if there's a point where the man on the street, or a woman, or they, thinks this is all a bit fucking choreographed, isn't it? Every couple of days, once it quiets down, there's another story. So there might, and I don't think this will be true of everybody, but a degree to which that people feel a bit manipulated, where it becomes transparently uh, choreographed, and I did, I did a tweet, actually, about uh, Dominic Cummins. I said, can you imagine a stag do organised by Dominic Cummins? It'll be, uh, right, lads, what goes on tour is ruthlessly chronicled and drip-fed to the mainstream press and your missus. I mean, there are some things that are starting to grate on me as well, and, and I wonder if it's more of a fault in my character. But you know when people sort of say... Now, there are some stories where people weren't able to be in hospital with loved ones, which you absolutely understand their anger. And then there's the other ones where people are kind of going, I had my 40th birthday party on my own. And for some reason, I don't know why, I just don't I don't respond to that well. You know, my son had his third and fourth birthday parties. Sorry, fourth and fifth birthday parties on his own, right? On his own on his fourth, and then we just we were allowed a couple of friends on his fifth. But even so, I, I, I don't know why. Is, is, is it just me where when people try to, you know, make it about them, Maybe that's what it is. Maybe there's a part of my heart that's just wrong, dear listener, where I just go, oh, fuck off.
<laughs> there you go. Actually, for my 37th birthday, you know, it's not even a milestone birthday. Come on. I, you know, I sat with a cake, you know, watching the first 10 minutes of Up. I'm like, all right, get it. You're trying to make it seem as sad as possible. But like I say, that might be a character flaw uh, in me. But as we go to press here, the police have now said that they're going to investigate uh, these uh, the goings on at number ten. So and then Sue Gray is going to postpone her report, and this just shit will just roll on and on. Fine, I can t- I get that it's a big story, but here's the thing: if the West does go to war with Ukraine, our timelines will be what they will be, right? And future historians will go, "What happened at the point where we were on the brink of World War Three?" And there we go. Well, so there was this birthday cake, right? But was it a party? Fuck it. So a quick thank you and a fuck you. Uh, Thank you for the people that followed me uh, on TikTok. I took a lot of stick about that. And fair play, I I quite respect uh, the the level of abuse that I got for being 45 and on TikTok. You know, the words included nonce, wrong and... um, But (laughs) the first few clips did all right, actually. Um, I got, you know, 60,000, then 130,000. I will say this, right? TikTok is interesting and the comment section are a fucking sewer. Uh, you think, like, we give ourselves on Twitter, we give ourselves a hard time, like, oh, it's so toxic. Get yourself on anything political-related uh, on, on on TikTok. Seriously, man, because a lot of them are kids. They haven't worked out that this is the public domain. And, my God, I got called everything. It was like the good old days. You remember, like, the real, really meaty bit uh, of, of Brexit. So... I accept, fully accept the abuse. I mean, it wasn't just that people didn't want to follow me on TikTok or or, or people thought I shouldn't go on TikTok. People were fucking angry with me for even wanting to be there. But um, it's it's a thing that's going to be uh, run by my social media guys. So, so a couple of people said, oh, you might spread yourself more thinly across other formats. It's just kind of harvesting. Basically, between you and me, harvesting old clips until they work out the copyright. Uh, the fuck you is to... The fuck you is to uh, I watched rewatched Mary Poppins recently, and um, I don't know if it's something about middle age, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but as I get older, I do sort of think that she like I, I just think Mr. Banks had it going all right at the beginning. Like, is it the whole film supposed to be about him finding himself and being happier and flying a fucking kite? But you go at the beginning, this guy's just you know he's just trying to run his household. His wife, she's off on marches. Jane and Michael pissing about, aren't they? And then fucking Poppins arrives with a kind of voodoo shit, right? And it just the whole household descends into fucking anarchy. The chef, his staff, even even they're getting in on the act. Poor old Banks, right? And he basically they just break him down, don't they? To the point where he loses his job. And and he's flying kites. Now, I admit, at the end, yeah, they do go, oh, Banks, oh, the old guy said he wants you a job back. That was a convenient little lad on at the end because what they realised was, shit, this film's going to end with this man unemployed. He's got a big old house, <laughs> loads of costs, loads of costs, staff, you know what I mean? Like, it can't end like this. So, yeah, I just think oh, I actually quite like the idea of, you know, good just running a tight ship, Banks. And I was thinking about other films as well where the movies manipulate you. Um, was the film Dirty Dancing, right? You, you know in that the dad were all supposed to be behind the young love couple and then the dad is a bit suspicious of Johnny Castle. Do you know why? Because his name's fucking Johnny Castle. What else was any self-respecting father in the 50s supposed to do? Some flash prick in a leather jacket comes Paso Doble and over to your daughter and grinding her. You know? <laughs> 
What's your sorry? What's it? Uh, who you get out with, babe? Who you get out with, love? Johnny Johnny Castle. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, fancies himself a bit, doesn't he? Oh yeah, that's absolutely fine. He's definitely not going to get you pregnant very quickly and then fuck off. I mean, let's look at Johnny Castle as well. Like his career prospects. Yeah, brilliant dancer. Yeah, the coolest kid. But. I mean, fucking, he would have had arthritis of the hips by the age of 40. Do you know what I mean? And baby, she was quite smart. She'd have been financially supporting him and stuff. It'd just been one of those relationships. It'd been very, been very quiet at Christmas time, wouldn't it? When it went on, <laughs> Johnny and baby cars would come round. And the dad just sitting there thinking, should have fucking said something at the time. Okay, enough being a misery guts. Uh, let's get on to our brilliant guest, uh, which is comedian, writer, and absolute top bloke, Chris Martin. No, not that one. He'll get that joke a lot. Okay, making his debut on what most people think is my good friend and brilliant comedian, Chris Martin. Hey, mate, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You've got to remember that the joke about your name is both something that is, is tedious to you, but that everybody at the moment will just need a second to deal with. I have got an album coming out now, and I'm really hoping that a lot of people accidentally download it thinking it's his. That's the one I'm like, this is surely, this is surely what it, yeah. it really pays dividends. Well, I've got a process, two things here. One, that you've got an album coming back out, which we'll come back to. But two, surely you just call it Chris Martin, yes, that one. <laughs> yes the one that you are thinking of right now it's that guy yeah uh, i should have done that i don't know now it's too late though the people the producer people have given me a different name and i'm too big a pushover so i just went yeah that's all right i did try and do a little joke on the name but i think there's a point where i don't know you should should i move on from it i don't know maybe not he hasn't moved on mate he hasn't moved from any, on from anything the environment he's still wanging on calling gwyneth at midnight he won't do live shows, will he? Because of uh, because of the environmental impact of flying. Yeah, and the thing is, when you're a comic, you kind of have to go through the first two jokes in reaction to that. Go, thank God for that. I hope that we, the planet does burn, and and then you kind of go through. I don't actually mind Coldplay, and he is a fantastic live performer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, every, I, it'd be so much easier if I genuinely had hatred towards him. I'm like, I mean, you know, he was rational. Brain. He's clearly, he's clearly quite good. So that's why he's, he's like yeah. very popular. Well, I mean, it was, it's like you too used to operate on that mantle that people used to think. Well, if I say that I hate you too, that makes me part of the the kind of alternative culture. And you go, well, most people hate you too. So you're the opposite of alternative. Exactly. Or, or like most people say it, and then they, if it, if a song comes on, they're not like, they're not like, fuck this, and just like throw the radio out the window. Yeah. They'll probably be like, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, like sitting there in tears to with or without you going, this is shit. So <laughs> it's doing nothing uh, for me. <laughs> um, you are, as I'm speaking to you right now, you're in the good old US, are you? And if, if you're not, just lie. I am. No, I am. I could, I mean, you can only see a, a sort of one meter square footage behind me but uh yeah no i am i'm in uh in just outside hollywoods uh which is less glamorous than it sounds let just don't correct me about what my view of being in hollywood is like just tell me what me... it is well it is you know what i mean that you just you roller skated back to your house with a, a very complicated coffee and you saw Channing Tatum. I don't know. I mean, my brain went straight there. He's a good-looking man. <laughs> He's a good-looking guy. I wish I saw him. Um, well, that's what you think it is. And then 
about last time I, I was back in the UK for a few weeks, but just before I left, um, I think, you know, some mornings I walk around going, it's nice weather, this is good. And then I saw um, a homeless guy take a shit on a tree outside my, um, outside mm. my apartment. So you're just kind of like going, okay, that's, that's the reality. That's, like the hills, the Hollywood hills are like five minutes mm. walk away. And then you might see, see something like that um, at the bottom of the hill. And that's where I Well, am. you're talking to a guy who grew up in Wimbledon, where, of course, the difference between Wimbledon and <laughs> I thought you were going to say, then you... you're talking to a guy who sometimes takes his shit on a tree. So, uh... <laughs> Yeah. Well, that, you know, let, let, let's let the anecdote take its natural course. But you go down that hill into Wimbledon, and the the difference, I mean, in Wimbledon Village, you've got some of the most expensive real estate in the world. I would argue slightly overrated, because they say it's got a view of the common. And the common hasn't got a fucking giant waterfall in it. You know what I mean? It's just some woods. It's not even like nice trees. It's just really basic woods. <laughs> I've never seen, I've never heard someone uh, metaphorically shit on the idea that some woods, I've never thought of woods being basic like that, but no, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Some of them have got nice variety. They've got different trees or right. a rolling landscape, undulating. Wimbledon, don't, I love Wimbledon. I'm, you know, I grew up there. I'm, I'm very defensive like of it. Right? It, well, because I could never afford to live in that bit. Now I can't yeah. afford to live in Wimbledon or anywhere near it. But you, you got yourself out uh, to Hollywood. How, how, how long ago did you go out there? Almost five years to the day. And it's very odd because I, in my head, I feel like I've only been there like a couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I feel like pandemic, those two years, we're all knocking them off our ages and everything, aren't we? That doesn't count as real life. So um, yeah, I, I've, I've somehow regressed age-wise. But yeah, five years, it's been... Um, I'm getting what do you know what I think of you a lot <clears throat> because when we were you and me were working on a couple of projects before I moved out here and you said to me maybe when we first properly met was that was in Cyprus right doing gigs for the army and I think you said to me my ideal life would be a writer in Hollywood in a swimming like hanging out in a swimming pool all day and I thought no nah, man I was like no nah, I just I love doing stand-up so much and now I'm out here I'm like Jeff is correct and that's what I want to do <laughs> <laughs> well, there was an advert years ago, and it was a guy. He said, "You wouldn't know it, but this guy is a film writer, and he was just sitting by the pool and typing on his laptop." I mean, the truth is, in reality, those kind of moments—you'd probably lay by the pool for about ten minutes and go, "Oh, it's a bit hot. I feel a bit itchy. I might as well just go and sit at the desk." You know, absolutely. But that is exactly what happened. Hundred percent. That is that's so true. Especially uh, there's something about the like you said, the idea of LA when you uh, when you're in the UK, it feels like this magical. My parents have moved down to Eastbourne, which is a, a, from London. So you just get a slightly more, in a polite way, a, a type of person who is less, I guess, well-traveled or something, just generally, a, a bit yeah. more kind of like, you know, stay in their area. So just in conversation, like I was at the local pub and I said, oh, my, my parents moved down here to the barmaid. And I was like, oh, I live in LA. And she was like, oh my, God. she was, she couldn't, she literally wanted to jump over yeah. the bar and hug me just to get near you live in LA, that's mental, that's so cool. And I'm like, it's, it's all, yeah, it's nice. I'm not like, it's really, it's cool, but you're like, it's just a place where you live after a while, isn't it? <laughs> but come on, no, you, you must have slightly enjoyed her reaction. You, you must have, part of you wanted to go, yeah, you parochial fuck, <laughs> I followed my dream. Look at you, serving shandies <laughs> at a fucking like, gastro pub. She was like 18. <laughs> Imagine so? that. You're going nowhere, love. You're going nowhere. Yeah. Exactly, because me, I'm a fucking doer. That's what they say about old Chris Martin. Don't worry about that. I mean, I say old Chris Martin because I met you when you were very young and fresh-faced. My mind will always think, that, but you must be well into your 30s now. I, I think you met me when I was about 25 and now I'm 35. So, yeah, that's... that's 35. I don't even know how... Were you mid-40s now? 
Is that too old? Have I made? Uh, have I... Yeah, all right, mate. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus, oh, yeah. Message received and understood. I mean, look, it seems like you're doing well out there. What kind of opportunities have you had there? What kind of work are you doing? Um, currently, me and my lovely wife, who you know well, we're writing mm. on a Netflix show um, that's coming out in in about, I don't know when it's coming out, maybe end of the year, called uh, XO mm. Kitty, which is like a spin-off. It's like a spin-off to these uh, rom-coms to all the boys I love before. So it's like young adult um, comedy. Mm. But it's great. It's really fun. We get to, um, you get to be in a room, which would normally be, 10 comedians or, or writers sitting around talking, throwing out ideas, you, like, you know, think of the show. But because uh, Zoom, we do it via Zoom. So it's us kind of mm. breaking this thing. And then we, we're writing one of the episodes as we speak. So that's great. And uh, are, you, are you a husband and wife writing duo then? Is that we how are, you... We are, yeah. We, I, I, what I, a I, great USP. I can just imagine the Yanks getting so fucking hard for that. Why, this British guy, right? You got to meet him. Chris, so polite. And he's here with his wife. They like right together. You'd think that they would fucking hate each other, but they don't. <laughs> and that's exactly what I get my our manager to say. That's the big sales pitch. Yeah. You think they'd be at each other's throats? They're fucking, they're bouncing off each other. They've been together for years. This is great. You'd be crazy not to take them. Yeah, that's how we got the game. So hang on, are you are you Stephen Mangan and that woman from episodes, basically? <laughs> so, like a so young... One of my friends out here did say that. Um, I hope, well, I hope to some degree... I hope we don't end up having horrendous affairs with her and then just sort of... I hope she doesn't end up fucking Matt LeBlanc. It's the bottom line. Well, it depends what gig it leads to, mate. Let's not rule anything out. Yeah, <laughs> um, so you, you, you've, you've done, um, you've, you've done stand-up. Are you still doing stand-up out there? I mean, as much as is allowed. I still do some, um, yeah, uh, in, in the current climate. It's got, I think I went back and I think I, I've sort of chased Omicron. So it's, it's mm. not as... Uh, gig, e it's not as easy to gig at the moment. But yeah, I do. I do some shows when I can. I like it. I don't. Um, I try not to do an unnecessary amount of traveling for shows, which is, uh, you know, you know that's the killer. You, as a comic mm. yourself, just the yards that you cover for, especially in America, like some people will all drive eight hours each way to do a gig, and I'm like, there's that's that would I drive into the sea if that was in the UK. So, um, well, this is the, the problem that there all, immediately was when the millennial generation of comics like you lot come in. And I, I mate, you say eight hours. I drove to, eight, to Truro. I did two gigs in Truro, came back, and I worked the next day as a teacher. So, you know, you're, you're, you're privileged. Oh, I don't want to drive hang on, for mate, four hours. Hang on, mate. Let me just look in my drawer behind me for a medal. Do you want one? I think I've got a medal. <laughs> well, listen, I've actually got a routine at the moment. Whenever anybody says to me, do you want a medal, I've realised that I... Always do. I always yeah. do want a fucking medal. <laughs> yeah. um, so what is the comedy scene like out there? As ever, let me wantonly speculate that it's loads of... It's even more woke than Britain. They're all really sensitive and... and um, do you know what? It's, it's, it's hard to... I see where you've got a, a perception from, but it's a bit like the UK, really, in terms of... It's hard to define what it's like because if you go to do... If you go at the comedy store, their audience is totally different to... Like on the east side, just not far from me, hmm. if I did a, a gig in a coffee shop or a backyard, which is like the alt scene, they call it. So it's a bit like, mm -hmm. what's the UK version of that? If you do a gig at, um, I guess, same. If you do a gig at the comedy store in London, that's going to have a different audience to um, 
what's that chapel what's that chapel gig in north london which is always a bit kind of yeah no but i know what you mean i speak about this the other week about i remember that comedy had changed when there was like a, a a gig above a pub called comedy custard and it was just so it was so achingly millennial and i just didn't know that it was changing and i went on and all the people like they're around your age did really well by being upbeat and positive and not being mean about anybody and I did the opposite and died on my ass. And I was like, ah, uh, yeah, you, that, you're correct. Changing. Even like the last gig I did before I went home, I remember it was in this little theatre and a guy went on before me, this young guy who's dressed all wacky. And he was just literally like, couldn't mm. stop. He couldn't stop laughing at everything he was saying. And then the audience were laughing yeah. at him laughing. And I had to go on after, and I was like, I'm going to do stand up after this. And then I, like, and I did yeah. like, fine. I didn't do great. I was just like, but he, you know, when you're watching, I'm going like, man, I'm not, oh, fuck. I'm, I felt like, I don't feel old. I just felt like, what am I, what am I doing here? Um, because they're just laughing at no, my giggling at stuff. And I was like, this is, I don't know what this is, but it's not normal. <laughs> it's not something I know. Well, it's a, it's a rites of passage moment when you've been doing comedy for a while, when, when you get referred to as the new guy, the younger guy, the up and coming talent guy and all, all these sorts of things. And then it's that first time when an audience are laughing at something that grammatically doesn't make sense in your head. Yeah. One of the things in the UK at the moment is when I get like a Gen Z type audience, I sort of deliberately patronise them and say things like, okay, in a moment, I'm about to say something that is hugely stereotypical about women, but I just wanted to give you little pricks a heads up, you know? So there's always, <laughs> there's always, <laughs> there's always a way of playing with it. I mean, do, do American audiences have that kind of sensitivity at the moment? I, I think like it's it is just completely different. Like as in, if you like if you go to a club, no one gives a like no one really gives. A sh I've seen people say stuff, and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't like. I feel like in a way, it's it's funny. You think it's woke, quote uh, quote unquote, but I actually think like at the clubs, like there's some of the stuff that people say, like stereotypy stuff. I'm like, yee. I'm like, that's not mm. that's not stuff I'm like particularly comfortable with but the audience don't really give a shit they just have a good time and not overthink stuff well th that's kind of what i actually think about just general in life is the internet makes it feel like everyone's super sensitive and all this but when you go to a lot of these places mm. I honestly most i think most people just want to have a laugh and if someone obviously says something completely out of order they'll kind of get called upon but they joke a lot more about race and stuff here than we do in the uk definitely they're definitely like you'll have someone come up there and say this about Mexican people and this about, again, this is at certain clubs. But then if you do the more ulti gigs with to a younger crowd, that isn't, that isn't really, that, I mean, you can do well, it. What it do they say down. about, what do they say about Mexican people? What is the... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm, they're saying they're really nice, nice guys. <laughs> See, look, this is the difference between us. You, you did, you did woke in air quotes but you're not willing to quote. I'm another, not going to. I'm, I'm not putting myself on your podcast, quoting another comedian saying something troubling, and because I know what's going to happen. You don't have to quote, but what I don't. This is the point. I don't even know what the stereotypes are. So if you could kind of, in an academic way, say. So for example, I'll go first. When I did a gig in uh, Malaysia, um, there was there was sort of three racial groups in comedy, and they all spoke about they all spoke about race. So there was a uh, uh, Chinese uh, Malaysians that tended to, to take the mickey out of the fact they were. Uh, good at maths and bad with women. That was sort of like the yeah. genre there. There was the Malay, uh, which were the kind of indigenous type people, were seen as quite privileged and entitled, and and then and then there was the Indian uh, Malaysians that 
the stereotype about them was that they were lazy and it was really weird because me and um, another comic were there and obviously in this country that's not like yeah. a stereotype you'd have about Indians at all if anything it would be it'd be the opposite right that, that you know it, it, it would be more more hard working and, and kind of entrepreneurial perhaps and so it's really weird so this uh, this Indian guy went on he went yeah I'm Indian so that's right I got up late for this gig and everyone was like cracking up <laughs> what was I going to say oh yeah so the Mexican one I really What's the stereotype that they are your garden? That, that everyone will joke that they do your garden is the thing. Because there's a lot right. of Mexican people and landscapers. That's and just like mm. that will come up or but yeah. See, I, that's interesting because I would say that here the maybe the closest equivalent is people from Eastern European mm-hmm. used to Eastern European countries working at car washes. But I would say that it'd be a brave comic that would say something like that at a British club, like to do the equivalent. To, yeah. to use that as, as a as a punchline, you know. So so immediately, that's an example of what you're saying is that they're not the mainstream audience. There perhaps isn't as sensitive. Would a, would a, a white American comic make that joke, or is it is it not? I've sort seen, of seen as cool. I've, yeah, no, I've seen um, I've seen I've seen white guys do it at certain clubs, and it's sort of I think it's just weird. They're very into roasting in this country, right? In 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 the clubs, you know mm. what I mean? Like you know the comedy roast battle. Did you ever do that, the UK one? Uh, no, I wrote on it. But just just for the listeners, roasting is that that phenomenon of whereby it started off where it'd be a very high status celebrity person and people would come up and go, first time I worked with Bob was back in the 60s. I mean, when he was 60, he must be a fucking hundred now. Yeah. But obviously, better joke. <laughs> yes. Better jokes than that. I can see why you got that writing gig, mate. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> So how are you navigating uh, a comedy industry, which is purported to be full of a lot of bullshit out there? Is it as I think it is? Is it as kind of, oh my God, you're amazing. There's quite a lot of bullshit. Does that mean like, as in, do you mean mm. comedians or industry or what do you mean? Like, it's like... Well, industry, two-faced, kind of a bit sort of sur- surface level. Not saying that doesn't exist here at all, but it's a, a bit more snidey, perhaps. Yeah, there's, well, there's just a little bit more take everything with a pinch of salt, I think. You know, in the in the UK, in the UK, I feel like more, unless I'm, you know, pitching a show or I'm, or I'm chatting to industry people in the UK, they're fucking walls up and you're like, this person's hard to impress, but maybe if you impress them, hmm. you know, they you go, oh, I've done all right here. Whereas here, every meeting great so nice to meet you but you i think like your your kind of radar gets better at going oh that's just they just say that to everyone that's bullshit whereas sometimes you know we've we've pitched shows here and um you know we sold one but off the back of that i remember being in the after the pitch go i think that was like they genuinely were really really into it but still if someone's into it there's loads of reasons why Mm. they might not buy the idea or whatever but then i've had other ones where i was like Nah, you just like I feel, but I think if you came here, if you were here for a week, you'd be like, everyone loves me. I'm going to be famous. Well, I think that you know, I like that about Americans. I like their positivity. It's an easy thing to to piss on, isn't it? I mean, they're kind of like morning, you know, like they are a bit more zesty and stuff. There, there's and an, I I think that we like to pretend in this country that we. Oh, the bloody Americans and stuff, but they have like the best TV shows, the best films. The best genes. You, you know, I think we sometimes delude ourselves that it's not a cool country that we didn't all want to live in as a kid. Come of course. On. No, I agree. There's there's something very uh, like that tall poppy syndrome of the UK, isn't it? Where it's just like, you're like, oh, Americans, they're annoying. And yeah, but like we watched all their shows growing up and 
yeah, I don't, I don't mind admitting, like, I've always wanted to, like, live out here. So I'm like, I am in, I love it. I've always felt I would just love to live in the States for a while. And also, not furthermore, with the impact of American culture growing up, I feel like there's a, an American childhood that I feel like I half had. Yeah. You know, like a high school experience, like like I, I snogged a girl called Becky Kazansky or something, <laughs> you know. I, I just, all that shit is so fucking appealing. The yellow school buses. Yes. It's, it, I mean, the the Goonies. Drinking out of a red cup at a party. That's Drinking out of a red, I mean, that is very specific, but a great observation. <laughs> this is why he's getting the fucking Netflix gigs, mate. And, and, <laughs> I pitched that in the room and they're like, yeah, we're in, that's just a standard cup we all use. There's nothing interesting see, about it. See, that's the husband and wife thing there. <laughs> they see things we don't see because they weren't here when we, when we made it. You know, this is this guy. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I, I think that, like I remember when I went out to North America when I was about thirteen or fourteen. If anyone goes, I oh, thought you was working class. It was my mum spending the divorce money from my dad. Um, so we went to uh, Canada, but my mum, yeah, my dad had a small. He was he was on his ass basically, and he had a small amount of redundancy money. My mum got some of it, and this is I think is a very working class thing. She gave it to me and my sister, and I spent. And this is this is like fucking what was it nineteen ninety? I spent four hundred quid on a video camera. This is living on a council estate. So I'm walking around like the kid from American Beauty. We don't, we can't, we have, I think we had a landline cut off. And then we, and then we went to Canada. We went to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Such a weird show. Where, where, I remember going to a shop. Which part of Canada? It was uh, Toronto. Oh, so nice. it was, and I remember we didn't have shopping malls in Britain at that time. But I remember walking around and, and so they said to us, where do you want to go for the day? You know, like this is with family, friends. What do you want to do? We went, Want to go to a shopping mall? They're like, okay, you could go to Niagara Falls or like, no, yeah. shopping mall. Yeah. And we just sat there with a big kind of soda and just thought, this is the shit. This is the tits. What is the, the, the kind of political temperature like there at the moment? I mean, has it calmed down since Biden got in? You must have been there during the real white heat of the yeah, Trump years. What yeah, we like? were, um, well, obviously on a... I know you're a big supporter, but how did you find keeping that under your hat at these Netflix meetings? Imagine if I just like was just this, just the silent Trump voter. Um, I can't vote, sadly. Um, no, that obviously the people, obviously in Hollywood on the coastal elite side of America, um, mm. very few uh, people I know are Trump voters. So that was that was kind of a weird time. It was in the pandemic, wasn't it? And then also, selfishly as a as a working immigrant out here. It's kind of it was quite scary under him because of, I mean, it's obviously scarier for people that don't look like me that are immigrants in America. I'm fully aware of how ridiculous that sounds, but you just I was like, oh, we work here, and then he could just change the rules and all that. So there was there was a lot of relief when he lost, and then it's kind of gone into that. It's kind of gone back to that state of most people spending a lot less time. People that don't know anything about politics or have any care about it are now fully back to where mm. they were before, which is paying no attention to yeah. it. Uh, but from what I, I've kind of gathered that he's not Biden. It's that classical. He's not. He's not good. He's not great, is he? <laughs> he's not a well man. I think like that is what is it, the lack of discussion, and certainly in American topical comedy, which I wouldn't necessarily expect you to comment on. But you think about like the attention that was given to Trump's hair, his suntan, the, the fact that the the leader of the free world, at the very least, is not fully you know got his finger on the pulse, shall we say. It is kind of astonishing. It is, and they can say, well, he's, you know, well, he's just a figurehead for an administration. He's going, yeah, but someone still has to have the fucking codes, right? 
The nuclear codes. Who, who did? Um, there's a really funny comedian here called Zoltan. Did a really funny bit. Reminds just talking about how he's, he's got he's got two massive dogs, Biden, and he goes, "There's mm. no way that guy can walk those dogs. They'd rip his arms right, right off." It's <laughs> really laughing because yeah, you're right. He's um, yeah. he's he's just it's kind of gone back. Uh, I'm trying to think of like what era it was, but where people kind of go, oh, "I'll ignore that." But the Blair years, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, bit like Blair it's just kind of this, it was easy going politics, bland yeah. stuff happening. But the, the problem is, not that I know, is um, you know, there's a very real possibility that um, Trump might might win again um, because because he'll he'll engage people, whereas Biden's sort of there's always the promise of the Democrats, like, well, it's it's the lesser of two evils, and there's a point now where people will just be like stop you need to actually put someone in that we're excited about and mm. um i think it will be interesting to see slash terrifying at the next election what happens but um it's very odd do you but as a comic writer do you at least acknowledge that trump winning again would be objectively hilarious i mean just pure, oh, well, yeah, on in, a pure terms like, level. in terms of the moment of that happening you'd be, if i was writing a, a tv script i'd be like well that would be yeah. that would be the funniest thing to happen next uh, but then you've got to caveat that with, well, then you've got to listen to another four years of people's late night jokes about him, which is so boring because, well, because yeah, I mean, Jesus, you're absolutely right. <laughs> but the problem, <laughs> but the problem I always found with the, the, the over Trumpification of humor in the evenings was like, he's so ridiculous. It's like, he is the joke. Right. And, and this is obvious to say. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, whereas I think you're right. I, I kind of agree. Like Biden, Biden has inherently funny stuff that, people don't seem to be laying into as much but you know i always like it if someone does a little do a bit of the yeah you know, you're getting paid 500 quid a day to write these jokes do a bit of the work mate you know what i mean i mean one of the things i thought was funny about biden was in the campaign people got a bit deranged trump got them to that place but they had trump derangement to a point and and i remember when biden posed for a photo with his dog and they were like serious political commentators going just how reassuring would it be to have a POTUS who has a dog I back know, in the White House. <laughs> like, Get out. Well, that's the, Fuck off, mate. I remember actually the day Biden won, we were out in the street having a few drinks. Um, and then some, I was like, I had a few beers and some girls were passing. They had like a, a fuck Trump sign or whatever. And I was like, yeah, mm. happy days. And they were like, well, Biden's not that great either, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. That's, you're correct. <laughs> All right, hope you're enjoying the chat with Chris there. Just a, a hype on the old socials, right? Oh, no, we got, no, do, do patrons. Got new patrons, right? We've got some interesting names this week. Uh, John Amos. You mean you're definitely the Mercury, Mercury Music Prize nominee, John Amos. John Amos with his album, Silk. <laughs> Welcome, John Amos, and thank you for your support. Greg Whelan, just sounds like a classic 90s footballer. Greg Whelan, whoa. Greg Whelan, he comes from Doncaster. He plays for Norwich now. Um, Joe Putnam, he's got to be a film, he's got to be a writer, isn't he? Joe Putnam. Yeah, Joe Putnam, he had some really like searing kind of topical, satirical films in the early 80s that made fuck all money. Uh, welcome, Joe Putnam. Jim Nolan, I mean, there's another 90s footballer, aren't they? Jim, no, 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 no. Jim Nolan was the manager of a, a side in the 80s. Do you remember when Stockport were doing all right? Second tier footballer. Uh, we go now to uh, Stockport manager Jim Nolan. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, look, it's always difficult to come to Swindon because uh, <laughs> of fucking roundabouts. Am I right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Very soon, people like me won't exist and you'll be speaking to some Italian bloke that will actually have some idea on diet. But don't forget Jim Nolan and the banter years. Have we got Mark? 
just Mark there. I'm going to presume normally we say that single name people are uh, working in kind of woke workplaces. But with Mark, maybe you're a civil servant, eh, Mark? Hey, keeping your head down, are we, this week? Are you going to leak me some information? Uh, Boris, at one point, was sacrificing livestock. And you know, you know, the only thing that could harm worse than the revelations that have come out is if it's like they was in some sort of satanic ritual or they played some really wanky posh parlour game that would just really annoy everybody, like called Wiffle Waff, you know, or Wibble, Wibble Down. Yeah, everybody, let's gather around and play Wibble Down. Oh, my God, I love this game. Uh, and then James Gill at the end. This is unusual because I know a James Gill very well. He's a fine comedian, uh, runs uh, ABC Comedy. Uh, so, James, mate, we're mates. You know, you could like just if uh, you know we could do a quid pro quo here. But if you're not James Gill, James Gill, that's a head of marketing name, isn't it? James Gill. Yeah, you're gonna need to run that by James Gill. He's been working for what would he, he'd be working for? Some multinational, wouldn't he? Kind of uh, PepsiCo. Or one of those uh, Schweppes. <laughs> How much did Schweppes get fucked out of the water when Fever Tree tonic water came around? Do you know what I mean? Like, Schweppes, I feel bad for them because, like, gin was a big drink when I was young and then no one drank it for ages. Very, like, old-fashioned drink. And then it come back in a big way and Schweppes must have been, like, brilliant. We're the tonic water people. Man the barricades. We're going to be selling some serious tonic water. What's that? Fucking Fever Tree. Pricks. Uh, but welcome, one and all, um, to the What Most People Think Patreon community. There is, of course, uh, there's the the show coming up on February the 9th. You, you can watch my whole, um, my last tour, Taking Liberties, right? There's there's uh, there's old clips that I probably can't tell you about, but long-form versions of stuff. There's, there's Patreon-only episodes. It's all there, so do join and get involved. And just a plug um, for general social media stuff. If you only follow me in one place, like Twitter, remember I am on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. Don't get angry. Uh, there's a book and also the tour as well. The tour, which starts next week's now in Crawley. The first three dates are sold out. They were in Cardiff, Sheffield, Northwich, Carlisle, Aberdeen. I'm just picking names out of that. Portsmouth. And then the big one, the Mecca, which is uh, Wimbledon Theatre. Theatre. Let's do all the syllables. Wimbledon Theatre uh, on the 29th of May. The homecoming gig. So don't, you know... Please come, because it, it's going to be some homecoming gig if I walk out there and it's about a quarter full. There you go, yeah. Uh, and it, 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 the worst bit would be if my school bully was still there. Oh, yeah, no quite you wank on, mate. You couldn't even fill your hometown gig. So, Chris, while I've got you, I mean, you've got this podcast, which has already had one series out. You're one of these fuckers, like John Ronson, doing a series. Jesus. But I loved I loved the subject matter. It's about dads, right? So tell me the title and tell me a bit about it. It's called Getting My Dad to Say I Love You. Uh, and it's, it's about dads, but parents in general. But the dad is the lightning rod for the frustration of, uh, again... Um, well, always me to a degree as a performer without, you know, who's overthinks everything. Mm. But like I, I when I was chatting to people over lockdown and stuff, some other writers and comics, and we were all just laughing about how our dads like have an inability to show any emotion of like love or affection. And actually mm. my mum as well, um, to be honest, like she can a bit, but she's from like Irish Catholic upbringing and stuff. So you just like you're basically just doing yeah. everything in life for your parents to say I love you. And it's very frustrating that they don't. And mm. I realized my dad had actually never said he hates any talk of anything. He doesn't like talking about anything vaguely. 
intimate or emotional. And I was like, I don't think he's ever said I love mm. you. Like, I know he does. And he shows it in other ways. But I'd be just, I wanted to get him to do it. So, I, I mean, I tried doing it on a Zoom. And he just was like, he just kept skirting around it. Like, this is funny. And so I just wanted to talk to other, <laughs> I wanted to find out from other comics and actors and writers, like, is this a prevalent theme? And, um, you know, do you, you know, do, have they said it? Uh, do you kind of say it to your kids? And then like, how supportive were they of what you did and, and kind of all that stuff? Because I think that's a kind of a universal uh, bond we all share that we essentially have daddy issues. <laughs> Could not, no, I think you're absolutely right. And you are still with, we're a different generation in terms of labels, but we still have dads from a time before perhaps that threshold flipped over to dads like me who just won't shut up about yeah. him. But Romish had that thing about, you know, he thinks that his sons will find it annoying. And, and we, we probably, like every generation of parents, we probably overcorrected uh, to, to a point. But it is funny. You're right. There's something funny in it. I mean, you're also right. There's nothing funny about a mum that doesn't say it. So you just park that. Right. That, that doesn't really have any proper comedic <laughs> value. That doesn't sound like a comedy podcast. That sounds like a cry for help. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very different podcast. But my dad, I mean, I'll tell you something. This is quite on, on the deep side, but Please. is that when my dad was on his on his way out and he, uh, the, again, that's a very, that's almost like a dad, like what? Sorry, Jeff, was he dying? Yes, he was dying. But he was had so much clarity. He, his brain was ridiculously high functioning as he was in the final stretch. And um, I sat there with him and I thought, God, I've got to say something here, but I don't want to make him uncomfortable, which again is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I don't want to make it awkward. Like, he's not going to be around, Jeff, so just, just say it. So I said to him, I said, uh, Dad, uh, I, I love you uh, and I'm sad. And he went, yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. And I was like, yeah, that felt like enough. <laughs> that's basically, <laughs> and it was, that's a ditto. That counts, yeah. Uh, and it was in a weird way right for us, but I also recognised not long afterwards that there was something fucking funny about yeah. that. It was, a, yeah, it, it was, it, but you know, in the moment it did feel like enough, like we, yeah. we exchanged a look. And, and so it's about with masculinity, perhaps it's it's not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It's about having better dialogue. 100%. But also it's that thing of not flipping so hard that you're like your kid is going. Look, I could do with you being a bit more emotionally solid. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you just, can you just, just like stay on these? You've said it ten times today. I get. Well, like anything, if someone goes on about something all the time, it, you know, maybe, maybe it's losing meaning. Maybe you need to ration out your "I love you" to your kid. Do you know what I mean? That sounds like a good. That sounds like a good way of going about it. I mean, like it's funny because as much as. Society progresses and say, oh, you should be fine to cry in front of women. Then you cry in front of a woman and you see the look on her face. You go, all right, maybe I need to fucking ration that shit. <laughs> and then, you know, like, and then, and then, so my son has never seen me cry. And we were watching, um, we were watching E.T. the other day. Oh. And he looked at me when E.T. was on his way out. And um, I can't say dying. He's dying. E.T. was dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and I was misting up. And he, and he went to say something, but I could see him pause. And I, and I said to him, I said, are you shocked that daddy's uh, emotional? And he, I just looked at I thought, fucking hell. Like, he, I actually would have been better off burying the feelings yeah, yeah. there. He wasn't ready for that. But maybe it was, it's like, it would have been better if I'd have done that talking about uh, one of my dead parents than a fucking alien in a film. So I've actually confused him there. Trust me, man. The same, I have this chat, I've had this chat of hands. I've been, I have been crying a lot. I'm not going to go into full details. We've had some, uh, some family health yeah. stuff. So I've been just crying so much recently. But I'm actually glad because I'm like, that is the appropriate time to cry. That is when I should be crying. Yeah. Whereas previously, she sees me cry at the end of a movie or a TV show, yet she still holds over with me the fact that 
I didn't, re- it took me about three weddings after our wedding to realize what she was doing. But like, I was going to cry when I saw her coming down the aisle. So I just turned around. I was like, just don't, don't cry in front yeah. of everyone. So she came up there, we had a nice wedding, was, you know, had a nice <laughs> wedding. And then the next wedding, she sees my other friend, Chris. She goes, he's crying. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, he's crying. <laughs> and then the next one, he's crying. And I go, hang on, are you annoyed I didn't cry on our wedding thing? And she was like, yeah, because they, and I'm like, I was, I was going to cry and I kept it in. She was like, why did you keep it in? And I'm like, yeah, well, if I'd known, if I'd known what, <laughs> what would happen. And that, Jeff, is how we got our writing gig. That banter there. Mate, I was just <laughs> thinking, I, I just think this is gold. This is fucking gold. And I, I'm just thinking, I wonder what it is I'm going to see this in. Is this going to be... A rom-com, or is it going to be a series? This Cry Me a Wedding. Cry Me a Wedding is called, and uh, Justin Timberlake's doing the music. I, I was speaking to a mate about this who's a very sort of South London working-class upbringing. Go, like, you know, going to football, singing with other blokes, you know, singing songs about the past and, like... And, and and getting emotional about a game. It's, it's, so the feelings do come out, but there is certainly an argument with blokes that is worth reflecting of it coming out in a healthier way because if it comes out in too weird a way then you get blokes throwing white plastic garden furniture at old bill you exactly. know like that it's not about the old bill is it of course it's about their dad <laughs> and if they just listened to your podcast <laughs> yeah, that, what a what a promo <laughs> that is there's a guy holding up some furniture right now listening to this he drops it and he goes yeah okay. i'm gonna listen to chris's podcast and rethink my yeah do you know what constable i don't actually think this is about you <laughs> this is this is about a fishing trip that was well it finished early let's put it that way <laughs> uh, i mean it sounds awesome just uh, name some of the guests you've yeah, had so Ramesh, got, Sean, yeah, who, series one was we had romesh rob beckett roisin Connerty. Tiff Stevenson, yeah. uh, Ed Gamble, uh, Jenny Zagrino, who's a brilliant American comic. She's been in a, a movies and stuff. And um, Carl Donnelly, my old podcast pal. So, and uh, yeah, and we yeah. did series one, see how it went. See, people seem to like it. Got a couple of nice write-ups. So going to do series two. And when we do, mate, I'll get you on and I'll get you crying at the appropriate moment. Do, do, uh, just so you know, dear listener, that fuck yes, it is four o'clock. But Chris, Chris Martin, big time, Chris has just given me the wrap up signal. But I know that he <laughs> I has to trying to be polite. <laughs> I have to go to work. No, listen, mate. Listen, it is great to be back in touch with you. Uh, name the podcast uh, again. Get, where do people need to go? Getting my dad to say I love you. Getting my dad to say I love you, Chris Martin. Thanks very much for mate, coming on the I show. I love you. Speak soon. So that was the chat with the brilliant Chris Martin there. I do follow, give him a follow everywhere you can. He produces great content. He produces sketches and stuff with his missus. He's just a, he's always fizzing with ideas. Uh, we just got a time for one letter this week, so let's do it now. Bit of an old school one, this one. We haven't had this for a while. It's who would win in a fight? Who would win in a fight between Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummins? And that's from Larry from Bromsgrove. Larry, well, first up, Larry, what a name that is, yeah? Are you a Lawrence? Larry. It's just, you've got to be American with a name like Larry. You can't, can't live in fucking Bromsgove and be called Larry. All right, Larry. Um, who would win a fight? Okay, let's think this one. This is easy. This is easy. It's Boris. It's got to be low centre of gravity, a lot of weight coming in behind him. Problem with Cummings is he's fit. You can tell that he runs and stuff, but he's just got a, he's too wiry. He's like a fucking pipe cleaner with that massive fucking weird melon head on him. It's such a big target, that head. He would be slippery, I guess, but if Boris, if we're if we're presuming, I mean, if it's a street fight, I think 
Cummins can get around. If we if we think about something in a ring here, I think Boris can just corner him at some point. Stick the just go at him like with his head, like a rhino, <laughs> like a rhino button against the edge of its enclosure. Just keep, and the rage that he would have. The rage he would have, you know, not you fucking betrayed me. You fucking, you brought my missus into it, you bastard. I think Boris as well, he'd go over the top like it would be like people were like, okay, okay. So I think that that is a fairly conclusive two-round savaging <laughs> from Boris Johnson. Okay, so that is the end of this week's show, save for uh, the five-star reviews on iTunes, which I always read out. Uh, we got one here from OJ Marsh. OJ says, never fails to have me laughing, thinking and sighing with relief that there is an alternative out there. Equally as critical of the right as the left when called for. Thank you, Jeff, from Ollie Marsh. Yeah, I mean, look, at the moment, I'd love to have a, a dip at the, the left. You know what I mean? It's, I'm never happier <laughs> when having a crack. But uh, you've got to go with the fish you're biting. And I think, I think you lose, you know, there's a couple of people I've had recently who go, are oh, you even conservative anymore? Do look, you, I, I'm a political comedian and I'd look pretty fucking ridiculous if, if I wasn't commenting on what was in front of me. But I will say this about Labour Party, right? I don't know if you've noticed on their official Twitter uh, camp, um, account they've been doing these weird because they haven't really got anything to say at the moment but they feel like we can't just you know be d- digging into Boris so they've been doing these weird uh, kind of insta meme things they're sort of society should be about caring sharing and loving and respect and you're like fucking hell this sounds like something you'd see on a 15 year old girl's insta account or something sewn into a cushion they, I mean they're literally one step away from saying you know vote like nobody's watching <laughs> so yeah it does remind you that at some point you know Labour will have to say what they think and there's not a huge amount of evidence that they've got a coherent vision yet Uh, this is from uh, we don't have a name here but it says never miss Uh, excellent podcast simple thought provoking and funny solo episodes of quality well you know I don't although the last solo episode did do very well so thank you for those that downloaded that and uh, if you haven't had a listen yet do do so I do I don't know why I couldn't finish that sentence satisfactorily. Uh, it's a summary of the week's events and views of general life in light-hearted and often hilarious way while still sharing a clear point of view. Well, that's it. You know, that's what most people think. Is it what most people think? That is the challenge. If you don't think that I've hit the nail on the head and you want to pull me up on anything, email whatmostpeoplethinkuk at gmail.com. And when we next speak, I think it'll still be fucking January. What most people think?